The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Eric. Uh, I pastor at a church called The Movement in Cordova. But I have a, a history here. I was baptized back there when I was eight. Um, and it was just kind of a surreal moment. My, my mother and father came in this morning. My, they both used to sing. Well, the stage looked a little different years ago. They had these uh, multicolored bulbs on the microphones. Y'all, y'all remember those days? Those were the good days, the pop filter days. But they did some of this uh, 80s contemporary stuff. So my mom and dad used to sing in the choir. My dad used to do some special music and lead the choir. And so we're singing in Christ alone. And then behind me, I hear his vibrato just coming through my ears. Got, got beside me a little bit, just, just right here. So if I just break down and cry throughout the sermon, it's because I'm looking at my father right here and there's a kind of this whole surreal thing happening. We, um, we're in an election cycle. How's everybody feel about that? Y'all excited about that? Uh, Pastor Johnny and Grant asked me to, and Pastor Grant asked me to come in to preach about the election. They were both too scared to talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm going to do that. We're going we're gonna to just pass out voter cards this morning. And uh, I'm kidding. We're not doing any of that. But there is this weird tension in the air, you know, this, this thing where we're all just, there's this kind of this fearful thing that exists in all of us where just kind of this tension. And I, I don't know about you guys, and I know we live in a democracy, but I'm kind of run by a dictatorship. So I'm not super interested in who may be the, right, the leader of this country. I have one leader over me, and he, he controls what I do and where I go. And in the church, we, we live in a dictatorship. God is the dictator. He determines all things, and he's still on the throne. Y'all believe that? Yes, yeah, so God is the God over creation. He's also the God over election. He's also the God over the government. He's the God over our neighborhoods. He's the God over our communities. And he's at work on our behalf. Yes? Yes, yeah, so there's nothing to fear, right? We don't, we don't have to fear anything. I want to read a passage of scripture to you this morning just to kind of premise the, the sermon. This is Matthew 13, verse 13 through 17. Jesus is talking and he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. A lot of times in the spiritual realm, you're not going to hear what you're not listening for. And you're not going to see what you're not looking for. And Jesus is talking about a people who have intentionally, actively, close their ears to the voice of God and close their eyes to the works of God. But then he says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What did they long to see? What did they long to hear? They longed to see this Christ who would come, God in flesh, 
to turn the kingdom upside down. They long to hear his voice present audibly. And the disciples had this opportunity to actually experience what it was like to stand in the presence of God. Not just to stand in the presence of, you know, a burning bush, which is, I don't mean to downplay at all, but to literally stand in the presence of the Son of God, of God in flesh. They had this experience, this opportunity. And people had closed their eyes and closed their ears even to the very physical presence of God on earth. They had so turned away that even when he was standing amongst them, they didn't recognize who he was. So Jesus is saying, I talk in these parables because they don't want to hear. They, they, they don't want to see. But you, you're blessed. Your heart has been shifted. You see and you hear. What, what's interesting about Jesus describing that parable is he still had to explain it to the disciples. So he said, you see and you hear. And they're like, we do, we do. <clears throat> but could you explain the parable to us, please? Could you help us to understand what you're talking about? And we have the same inclination as people, as Christians. There's this natural tendency in all of us. Our eyes are first open to God. When we give our lives to Christ. The blood of Jesus flows in. We're overwhelmed by his grace. His Holy Spirit takes over and the posture of our heart is shifted. And you guys see this in all new Christians. They come to Christ and all of a sudden they're just blowing the doors wide open of like every workplace. They're, they're trying to bring everybody they know to Jesus. They're just going crazy for the gospel. And then day after day goes by. And at some point, that fervor, that passion, that tenacity starts to decrease. At, at some point, those eyes that were once wide open, those ears that were once wide open, to the presence of God, they, they slowly start to close. And we all have this, this natural tendency and tension in us that as Christians, we naturally start to close our eyes. Now, I'm not saying fall away from the faith, right? I'm not trying to preach any sort of bombshell doctrine here this morning. I, I'm simply saying that the faith that we once were lit up for slowly starts to diminish in its application in our lives. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about two key options for Christians. Eyes opened or eyes closed. I want to talk about those two perspectives and their consequences. And then I want to close with an exhortation for godly living. And even for those who have yet to open their eyes or have their eyes opened by the blood of Christ. That work for everybody? Y'all want to go there with me? Yes, everybody's good. All right, let's pray, then we'll get into it. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together as a family, to hear from you, to glorify you. We're grateful for the gifts and the abilities that you've given each of us, that we might encourage and admonish each other, that we might lift you up above all things. And Father, that we would be motivated and inspired by our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning to go out and live differently. We love you. Be with us now as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to use this story. It's an Old Testament story about a guy named Elisha. Many of you know Elisha. Elisha was the, uh, he was the mentee or uh, the apprentice of Elijah, the prophet. And you remember at the very end of kind of Elijah's life, Elisha asked for something from him. He asked for a double measure of his power. And so Elisha's a pretty powerful guy. 
God has used him in a lot of ways, the prophet. And in this particular scenario, Elisha is uh, giving insight to the king of Israel about advances that are being made by the king of Aram. And so every time the king of Aram goes to make an advance on Israel, Elisha gives the inside scoop to the king. And so he's able to cut off the men. Now the king of Aram is furious about this scenario and he can't figure out who among him is giving his secrets away. Who who is not for me? He calls all his men together. Which of you is not for me? What's happening here? One of you is giving away the secrets. Every time I go to do something, it's like he's right in front of me. And so they all get together and they, they determine it's Elisha. Now, Elisha's not even with them. He's in Dothan, uh, a little bit away from where they are. But they determine that what they're going to do is the way that they're going to deal with this situation is how they always did in the Old Testament. They're just going to kill him, right? I mean, that's just the prophet's life. You hear from God and then you know at some point someone's going to kill you. It's just kind of part of the deal. Uh, and so uh, these, the king of Aram decides... He is going to gather up all of his guys and they're going to circle Dothan and they're going to kill Elisha. And so that's the context of where we're headed next. So Elisha has a servant with him. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, 14 through 18. 2 Kings chapter 6, 14 through 18. So nice to hear pages turning. Such an interesting, the church that, that I pastor, we have a lot of, 20-something and 30-something, so it's, it's very rare that you hear someone's finger sliding on a cell phone, <laughs> you know, and so this actually page is starting. It's an interesting, it helps me to know where you are, because I never know, are we texting, are we on Instagram, or are we looking at the Bible? I don't know. It's one, one of those things. So this is what it says. This is the context, and so now we're moving in. It says, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night. And surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. The servant's response. Oh no, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. Elisha responds. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed this prayer in verse 17. He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Now keep in mind, these are not just more horses and chariots of the king's army. These are now God's horses and chariots. These are horses and chariots of fire. It's kind of a natural part of any story with Elijah or Elisha. You're going to see chariots of fire. There's music in the background. You guys know it well. Everybody with me? You remember? Okay. Anyways, chariots of fire. Where were we? What are we talking about? Full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Now you can read the rest of the story. It goes well for Elisha. But I, I want to draw two conclusions from this story this morning. There, I mentioned earlier, Christians have two choices. Eyes closed or eyes opened. Those are our options. Eyes closed to the presence of God or eyes opened to the presence of God. And each of these options, 
elicits a particular response from the Christian. The first one is eyes closed. When our eyes are closed to the presence of God, we are overwhelmed by the problems of life. When our eyes are closed to the presence of God, we are overwhelmed by the problems of life. How many of you have ever had one of those problems that came up in your life, a drama with a family member or something, some sort of issue, and this problem just captivated your thinking for the whole day, for the whole week, for the whole month. Raise your hand. Anybody ever had a problem that just captivated your thinking? It was like you couldn't do anything because this problem had surrounded you. And your natural inclination was, what do we do? I don't know what to do. You call all your friends. I don't know what to do. Right? I, I'm over, I don't know what to do with them anymore. They're just exhausting. Right? I'm just going to kick them out of my house. I just can't keep affording to just feed them and clothe them. And I, maybe I'm, I'm apparently talking about somebody's kids. I don't know. Feed them and clothe them and give them money. And they're still making all of these poor choices. What did I do? You know, what, what, what was my parenting strategy that went awry? What has happened? Right? But it just overwhelms you. It's this thing. It just captivates your thinking. Something at work or maybe it's something at school or whatever it might be. It just overwhelms you. You're surrounded by the problems of life. They inundate you. And what they do is they start to blind you from possibilities. Let me share, this is the parable that Jesus was talking about when we first started. We started talking about, he said, you blessed are you because your eyes are opened. He said, I speak this way because uh, they've closed their eyes. The parable he's talking about is this parable of the sower. And this guy is spreading seed. He's trying to create a harvest. And the seed has fallen on different types of soil. Ultimately, that seed is what we'll call the word of God. And the soil are different hearts, okay? But I, I want to take this ex- explanation of the parable and, and bring it to light in our context. So Jesus begins to talk about the different seed, and he kind of shares the whole parable. And so let me just share. This is Matthew 13, 18 through 23. Verse 18, it says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. This is Jesus talking. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble, problems, persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So I'm a Christian as long as it's convenient, right? That's what he's saying. They grab onto it. They say, I'm a Christian, it's great. But then when trouble, when someone says, you're a Christian, I want to kill you, then they're like, I'm not a Christian anymore. Change my mind. Not a Christian anymore, right? As long as there's no persecution, they're fine. That's the seed that fell on rocky soil. Then he, he mentions this other seed in 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The true danger of, of worry, the true danger of fear is not 
doubt or negativity, those aren't the real dangers of fear and worry. The real dangers of fear and worry is ultimately spiritual blindness. Fear and worry and being overwhelmed by the problems of life choke out our capacity to see what actually is. We see a world different than the world that a Christian should see. And ultimately, a Christian should see a world that's been overcome by the blood of Christ. And so we get our, ourselves wrapped around with these problems, right? These thorns and these things, they overwhelm us. And ultimately, they choke out what should ultimately flow through a Christian, which is this deep awareness of the presence of God. We see, we see this all over. I mean, we see Christians talking about this all the time, completely illogical arguments, completely illogical fears about what's happening in the world. One of the things that's the craziest to me, I was looking through statistics, statistics the other day about crime in the U.S. Because how many of you would say that you, you're under the assumption that murder, crime, all those things have increased over the last 50 years. Since 1960, how many of you would say, yes, this country is a much more dangerous place than it was in 1960? Would you raise your hand? you believe that? Yeah, me too. I believe that. You know what's crazy? You're not going to believe this, and you're going to have to go and Google it for yourself. The murder rate in the U.S. is lower right now than it was in the mid-1960s. The murder rate in the U.S. right now is lower than it was in the mid-1960s. It's lower than it's been since the mid-1960s. The crime rate, all crime across the board, crime rate, if you, if you take the whole thing, it's lower right now than it was in the early 1970s, since it's been in the 1970s. Yet somehow... We say these things like, oh, yeah, you know, when we were kids, we used to play in the front yard and roam the neighborhood. You know, it was just a safer world back then. It was just, a, the, this country was just a safer place. But now, no, no, no. You better make sure those locks on your fence are, you know, taken care of. We have electricity that surrounds our backyard. And we let our kids play back there for about 15 minutes. And we have armed guards that watch them so that no one comes and takes them. Like, that's the fear that we live in. You know, we're just constantly afraid. And that's what the world wants. I mean, that's what the darkness wants. They just want you afraid. That's just the reality. The more fearful you are, the less faithful you behave. I mean, that's just the reality of the thing. The, the more you're overwhelmed by the problems of life, the less in tune you are to the presence of God. And so Elisha prays for the servant being overwhelmed by the problems of life. He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. See what? What does the servant miss? He's seeing all the right things physically. I mean, they're surrounded. That's a, that's a physical reality. The king has brought an army against them, and it's surrounded the entire city. That is logical, and it's true. And we have problems. We, we live in a country, we live in a world that has immense problems, mass amounts of issues. We're surrounded by those problems. But for the Christian, we have a deeper responsibility to open our eyes to something else that's at play in the narrative. 
That is that God is already at work on your behalf. That the spirit is on the move. And those who are with us far outnumber those who are against us. Because when we look only at the physical, we miss what God is already doing. Now, here's the thing that's crazy, though. Here's, here's what's interesting. The servant is afraid out of his mind, and he's backed into a corner, and he's, he's cowering. But is God any less at work on his behalf than he is on Elisha's behalf? No, God is at work on both of their behalves. It doesn't change anything. He's still at work for them. It's just one recognizes it and the other doesn't. The presence of God is not ultimately what changes our behavior. Please know that. Scripture says that God is not far from any one of us. What changes our behavior is our awareness of the presence of God. Our willingness to open our eyes to the reality that the chariots of fire have arrived and God is taking back his kingdom. You and I have a responsibility to live in such a way that the rest of the world knows that that's true. We have a responsibility to live in such a way that we're not fearing anybody. I'm not fearing the changes in the political climate. I'm not fearing what happens in our community. I'm not afraid of any of that stuff because I know that those who are with us are far more than those who are against us and that God is at work on the behalf of his people. I'm not afraid of those things. I ultimately just have to choose, am I going to live aware of that reality? Am I going to live with an awareness that God is at work on my behalf? So after the servant's eyes were opened, you think anything changed about the way you felt? I mean, this fearful, afraid, overwhelmed, completely daunted servant. You think as soon as Elijah went, God opened his eyes, the servant went, I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid. I am. No, he saw those chariots of fire and he went, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> Let's just sit right here. Let's just sit and watch what God does. This is going to be amazing. He changed. You know he changed. What did Elisha do? How did Elisha respond to the reality that God was at work on his behalf? Did he, did he sit back complacently? Oh God, we, don't, we don't need to do anything. God's at work for us, guys. So let's just, we don't need to worry about anything. Let's just not do anything different. Let's just sit here and sit idle and watch God do his thing. Is that what he did? Is that what God calls a Christian to? No. Elisha did this. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. So he prays for the, the servant. He has a deep heart and hurt for those who are overwhelmed by the problems of life. So that's number one. 
This, I'm just making this point up. It just hit me just now, so you can put that in your notes. It's not written anywhere in there. But Elijah's heart shifts for the servant because he knows he's overwhelmed. He knows he's saturated with fear, and he knows that he's missing out on the glory of the presence of God all around him. And I, I pray that you have a heart and a hurt for the brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you who seem to be so overwhelmed by the problems of life that they've completely discounted the presence of God. And then secondly, Elisha prays to the Lord. He doesn't ask a question. He gives a command. He says, strike this army with blindness. Elisha gets moving. Knowing that the presence of God is with him, he invokes the power of prayer and impacts the game with his participation. Now, would God have blinded that army if Elisha hadn't prayed it? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. But certainly we see here that God wants it to be clear that Elisha prayed that prayer and then the Lord acted on his behalf. And so I just my hope for you is that you would move on the things that you know to be true, that you wouldn't sit back complacently with all the wisdom and all the gifts and all the skills that God has given you and just let the world fall, right? Just, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. We'll just, you know, surrender. Let's eat, drink, be merry, and just live our lives. And, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. No big deal. Is that how God wants us to behave? Oh, we're supposed to be exhausted right now. We're supposed to be so at work, so on the move, so involved in the redemption of the people around us that we show up on Sunday completely withered up like a little raisin, hoping that as we worship and celebrate and pour out to God, that he would refill us and recharge us for the mission that's throughout the week. That's the whole point of this whole thing, right? We gather together to be encouraged so that we might go out and behave according to what we know, that God is at work on our behalf and calls us into the game. He calls us in with him, not to be afraid, but to be faithful, to believe, to believe that things can be different. So I just want to close with this. For those who are for those who are in Christ, my prayer for you is, is that you would walk in the sanctity of every moment. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus took his last breath on that cross and the temple veil was torn, and when those when those disciples were in the upper room and they were praying and waiting on the power of God through the Holy Spirit. God took what happens in the Old Testament moment by moment. You know, the burning bush, bush with Elijah, I mean with Moses. And all of the different situations where his presence happens. Speaks to Elijah in a whisper in the cave. He took those incredible moments that we see in the Old Testament. We just, we think, God, you know, wouldn't that be amazing if I got home and like my bush was on fire in the front yard 
and God just started talking to me and told me to take my shoes off. Like that would just be, that would change my life, you know? But Jesus is saying, all the guys in the Old Testament, the ones that you fantasize over, they were hungry for what you have. They were desperate for what God has given you. The burning bush, man, it's your heart. And for the Christian, the presence of God rests here in you every single second of every single day. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing, burning bush moment. Your job is to make people aware that God God has opened himself up to Jew and Gentile, that through the blood of Christ, everybody might be brought to repentance, that the grace of God is open for everybody who might bow to the, to the lordship of Christ. That we're supposed to walk in power and in strength, set on fire for the love of Christ. We are the burning bush for the world. Just be ready, world, because here comes the presence of God and his people. That's, that's our job. And we sit around, we just fantasize about, oh, wouldn't that, wouldn't that burning bush moment be cool? God's going, I dropped my Holy Spirit into your heart like years ago. You just got to start being aware of it. You just got to start behaving appropriately and live in this reality that the presence of God is at work on your behalf, not just around you in the world, but within you at the wars that exist still in your soul, this this epic fight against sin that exists in you that we call sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. God's at work on your behalf. Those addictions that you still fight with, the, the anger that you still battle with, the, the, the temptations, all of this, God is, God is at work in you. You don't have to be afraid of that. Just be aware of his presence. And for those who are not in Christ, my prayer for you is that your eyes might be opened that through this time with these incredible people this morning and through the worship experience and even through the word of God, that, that you might be so tired of being afraid that God would knock on your heart in such a way that you would try the faith thing. You might say, man, this fear thing is not working. I'm exhausted and worn out and tired. But this faith thing, this faith thing sounds a little different. And so the band is going to play a little bit. And I just want, I want you to take that time. If you're in this room and you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never asked God to open your eyes to the things of his spirit, if you've never asked God to open your eyes to his presence, I pray that you might surrender your life to Christ this morning, that you'd be brave enough at the end of the service to talk to somebody to your left or to your right. Most of these people will be so excited to have a conversation with you about Jesus. And then for those of you who are in Christ, I I just want you to take some time to encourage yourself. We, We just have to learn how to do that as Christians to just remind ourselves of the things that God has said, that the things that God has done, and the reality that God is at work on our behalf, and we really have nothing to be afraid of. He's still on the throne, he's still in power, and he desires good things for his people. You all pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity 
to gather together and to celebrate who you are. I pray that you would be with us now as we process and think about what you've said to us through your word. I pray that you would open our hearts more to you. We love you. Thank you for your son, Christ Jesus, for his death, burial, and resurrection, and for the grace that we now get to experience. In Jesus' name, amen.